to the Toes on the Line podcast. I'm your host, Gio Grassi, and today I'm bringing you guys Ted Lambernitis, who is a GPS genius from when I first met Ted back in 2018. <laughs> you laughing, Ted. Uh, you know, Ted has been around the strength and conditioning and basically the overall sports game for ages, decades. I mean, he might have been around when, you know, sports was first created. Man, Ted's been doing <laughs> GPS monitoring, strength and conditioning coaching, and he's just Developed great relationships with players and coaches around the country. Ted, thank you for coming on today, man. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on more than anything. So if you want to take some time, because I can guarantee you there's a lot of people who probably don't know you because you're more of a behind-the-scenes guy. If you want to just take some time and introduce yourself and let uh, our listeners know where you've been, where you've come from, um, and how you've got into the role uh, where you're at today. Um, well, I played uh, college football at uh, the University of Dayton, and uh, from there, I transferred to uh, the Ohio State University, and uh, that was uh, back in 1979. So you are correct, and I've been around for decades. <laughs> and uh, so when I got to Ohio State, they had an opening for, at that time, that was at the start of college strength coaches getting hired. Okay. And so they had a position open um, to help out in the weight room. So I went in, interviewed, and uh, and then uh, I got hired, and so it was the head strength coach and myself running all the programs for all the Ohio State programs there, and uh, it was a tremendous learning experience. So I completed my bachelor's degree at Ohio State and did my master's and the doctoral work there at Ohio State, and I had the opportunity to work with some really great coaches. The strength coach uh, at the time was Steve Bliss, and the Football coaches I got to work with were, you know, Pete Carroll was an assistant. Nick Saban was an assistant. Mark D'Antonio was a, a GA with me. Um, Jim Trestle was an assistant coach. Glenn Mason was an assistant coach. Dom Capers was an assistant coach. Wow. And then Hall, Hall and of then, Famers, man. Yes. And yeah. so while I was there through the uh, exercise uh, physiology department, we set up a uh, we did a beta project for a local high school where we went in and set up their high school program for them and coordinated it. And from that, they started a master's degree with an emphasis in strength and conditioning. Okay. So if you got into the master's program, uh, you were assigned a high school. You were literally the high school strength coach. That high school paid for your education. And then you also helped out with training the Ohio State football program. So some of the strength coaches that came through that were, you know, Mickey Marotti, Ken Manny, uh, Rick Spielman, who's the general manager for the Minnesota Vikings, uh, Sean Brown at West Virginia, Chip Morton was in the NFL for, you know, 20 some years. Um, and we just had, uh, you know, uh, Mark Asanovich was an NFL strength coach for years. So it was really a great experience. So they got to, be involved with the high state program, get their education, and also the hands-on practical experience of running a high school program, uh, you know, really helped them become much better strength coaches. And, and then when I left Ohio State, I went to work for uh, Pete Brown. He's one of the owners of the Cincinnati Bengals. So I did work with some of his private businesses and helped out with the Bengals. And, um, and then I was doing consulting. It was, I was on the NCA Speakers Bureau for, you know, several years and uh, did a lot of consulting with, you know, you know giving talks to college professional teams. And, and then when the NFL started their uh, tracking program about six years ago, 
<clears throat> I was involved to sort of serve as a consultant for teams to help them with the data interpretation of the the, uh, the information they were getting from their uh, from the game day data, and then assisted teams with you know some of the data they track uh, during practices. So your theme today is you know various technologies for tracking sports, uh, you know where it sort of originated, and uh, and it's interesting. I read. Um, Pete Carroll was an assistant coach for Bud Grant at the Minnesota Vikings. And so when I, and, and, and Pete talked about one time the team was doing, you know, back in the day, you do a warm up lap to get loose before you stretched or did your calisthenics. Mm-hmm. And so the team's doing the warm up lap and, you know, Pete Carroll's, you know, BS with another coach and Bud walks up and taps him and said, you know, you might want to watch. You'll, you'll learn something. And so Pete said that, you know, Bud told him, you know, I watched the team warm up because I want to see how they look running. Do they look tight? Do they look gimpy? Are they talking? Do they look like they're overworked? So to me, that's observational sports science. This guy's doing observation, looking at how guys are running, what their gait looks like, how are they communicating? And he would make modifications on that particular day's practice plan based off what he saw during the warm-up. Oh, wow. So when you have, uh, you know, coaching intuition is, is really strong. Some say, may say that, you know, that's, you know, subjective feedback, which uh, there was an interesting study published in the uh, British Journal of Sports Medicine uh, a few years ago looking at teams that were tracking objectively, say, with a GPS technology versus using objective measures, which would be tracking training load via uh, RPE times uh, duration, so your Uh relative perceived exertion. And in that particular study, they found both to be equally effective. Mm. So when I, you know, read that about, uh, you know, Bud Grant, you go, those are the smart coaches. Um, they, They have a sense of, and when you looked at where, you know, tracking and monitoring athletes, that's how it was done for a long period of time. And, and coaches would put tremendous amount of time into practice design. They would look at, you know, what drills they were doing. Are we doing these drills too frequently? Are the players getting bored? Are they getting staled? Um, and they would look at over the course of the season, how they would dictate, you know, periodizing, or in that case would be, how do we reduce training load as the season goes on? Um, so to me, that was the art of coaching and, um, you know, certainly now with technology, you can really refine that to, uh, you know, to a greater degree. Yeah. Now, real quick, now fine tuning like player load as the season goes along. Is is that even, is that even possible? Is that even a thing or is it just, because from what I believe and what I think, um, and I think you and I had a conversation a while ago, like. You have you have two players that play the same position. Let's just say wide receiver, for example. One guy might respond, you know, uh, better with a high quote unquote player load versus another player who might not respond as well with a high player load. Vice versa, low player load might be good for a guy. Low might not be good for you know player B. Is it, do you see that as well? Do you see that trend within um, you know, player tracking and stuff like that? Oh, I think you have those differences. I think some of it, if you get guys that are real twitchy or they have a higher degree of, you know, fast twitch muscle fibers. Yeah. Um, you know, their training tolerance um, 
you know, might be not be the same as somebody that is not quite as twitchy as them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see that could be evident in some of their metrics that you look at the beginning of practice to the end of a practice. Um, so there's obviously differences. I, I think the other thing that's crucial is when you're, when you're looking at player tracking data, you also have to, one of the problems I think in sports sciences is that we sometimes assume the, in, the player doesn't have a head. Mm-hmm. And, um, and <laughs> I, I, I was, I was at one college practice and, you know, we're, we're, we're tracking and, uh, a buddy of mine was, uh, you know, he, he handled all the sports science for this particular team and it was, you know, it's a power five team. Mm-hmm. And so the practice is over and the head coach comes over and says, all right, you know, who tell me who worked hard. And I, I wanted to say, well, what the hell were you doing the last two hours? Yeah. I said, I could look at this data and tell you that this DB's numbers are unbelievably high, but he was out there like a chicken with his head chopped off because he's a freshman and has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> I said, this player right here, whose numbers are significantly lower, is your best DB because he's the smartest. Hmm. He doesn't have wasted movement. So I think okay. anytime you're looking at numbers, you also have to overlay how are they actually performing? Yeah. And how do performance improvements, uh, you know, alter some of the outputs that you see with some of the tracking? And, and you, you, if a guy becomes more efficient, some of those numbers should, you know, should trend down because they're much more efficient. They, they have less wa- wasted motion. Yeah. So I think, those are things I think some teams, when they put together their, you know, practice report, you know, they'll have all the tracking metrics, but then they'll also include how did this player practice today? You know, and you could grade, you know, give them a grade like you do on game day. You know, how, how did they grade out from the practice? Because uh-huh. ultimately, that's what you're trying to do is you're, you're trying to improve the performance of your position and it as, and it as a collective group you know, the execution of the game plan. Yeah. And so you, you want to look at the physical outputs, but you have to look at it within the framework of, Hey, are we getting better? Are we just doing reps to do reps? Are we really executing at a much higher level? Hmm. Is there a, is there a true number, like a true objective number people should look at and say, all right, Hey, uh, uh, a DB covers this much ground in a game. Or do you think you, like that type of stuff should vary between, uh, you know, the, the style of football people play or, you know, the offenses people play or, you know, play against. Do you think that has a, a key thing as well? Or is it like, oh, no, yeah, that's not yeah, a generic that's, number, right? Right. Yeah. You, yeah. You'd have to look at the style of play. You know, that's a huge factor. And then you also look at some of these kids that are on every special team as well. Yeah. And uh, so if you're in a high scoring game and you're on every special team, you're going to have really high numbers. Uh-huh. And so what you try to do is, you know, you look at, you know, the tempo of the game, you know, what's the average time of the play? What's the average time between plays? If I, you know, if I, I want to collect that data on my opponent, so as we're preparing for that week's practice, you want to getting used to the tempo that they're going to expect. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, little things um, like when you're in a team period, how, you know, how do you substitute? You know, are the, are the players behind the huddle, right behind. And this way, if you're doing a lot of substitutions, let's just say for your defensive lineman, they got to get used to running on off the field. Right, from the sideline, not behind the huddle, right? right? Not behind yeah. the huddle. So get them on the sideline. When you're in a team period, 
you know, you want to make sure that that is as close to game speed and experience as possible. Because when you compare game outputs and practice outputs, you find a lot of players or teams, they, they don't practice hard enough. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, you look at team and you're going, you know, they're not running those routes like they're running them in a game. Right. So you get into the game and you wonder why their execution's a little bit off. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the, the quarterback was late on the throw because this guy's busting his butt out of the break and running the route faster than he was in practice. Hmm. So your, your, your timing's off. So you want to make sure that, you know, and you can't do that every day of the week, obviously. Right. But you, you've got to have a certain number of plays that, uh, you know, that timing is done at, at a game speed. Yeah. I think uh, the one way we've used it, uh, where I coach here at Ford right now, you know, our head strength coach, uh, Joe Gilfeder, you know, he kind of took all the data from, you know, our first two years at Fordham. Um, you know, how, how long did we take between plays, distance covered and whatnot? And, cre- and that's how we developed our conditioning program uh, for our football guys. And I, I believe it's been, you know, pretty uh, essential. So that's one way we've used it. Uh, what are some other ways you've seen other people use it? No, I think the way you're doing it's great because, you know, that's the said principle, specific adaptations to right. impose demands. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then you can, you know, the other thing that you'll I'll look at will be, you know, you, you want to look at game reps. And then I look at the, the guys that are second, third team. Mm-hmm. So when I look at the end of the week, what was the weekly training loads? So when I include game day, I look at my backups and go, you know, these guys are about, you know, 20% off the starters. So if our starter goes down the first series next week, this guy's going to be fatigued by the fourth quarter. Hmm. So those backups, I've got to figure out a way to get them extra reps or extra conditioning to be prepared for that workload if, if it's called upon them. Yeah. So I want to look at differences between, at the end of the week, the differences in training loads between my starters and non-starters. And then also that gives you a great baseline to use for return to play protocols. Right. So, you know, it's again, you know, the, the, the last thing you want to do when you're bringing a kid back is, you know, a guessing game. Well, we'll start them off at 50%. You go 50% of what? Mm-hmm. And then this way you can be real precise in terms of your distances, your change of directions, your velocities. Gotcha. You have something to measure against what your 50%. It's, gotcha. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, return to play is what they refer to as a swag. And that's a scientific wild ass guess. <laughs> <laughs> I've never and heard that so, before. So, so you want to make sure in this way, the kid has more confidence. Uh-huh. And then if their parents ever call, you say, Hey, this is what we're doing with your son. Okay. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that that's, that's a great, great way to do it. I, I hear a lot of people talking about return to play, but I've never really understood how, like, okay, you brought good light there. Just, you know, have a good measurement of what 50% truly is from, yeah. what they, from what they used to do, right? So their, their previous would be a baseline generally. Right. So, okay. And, the, and, and then the other thing too is, is those numbers that you've, that you've collected uh, are, especially now with, the, with, the, with, with this COVID return to play. Mm-hmm. And that is, hey, we know what, what the first week of training camps could look like. And what they want us to do now, if we look at the CSCC, NSCA resumption of training after a long layoff, 
mm-hmm. you know, starting at 50%. Now you just work backwards. All right. Here's where we're going to be when camp starts. So let's work backwards. We're going to be at 50% of that starting. So you've got guidelines or, or you've got measurables that give you your distances, your velocities. And then you're, if you're working off, you know, starting off at 50%, then you have a means of progression. Gotcha. Okay. Because, you know, people, oh, we're going to do 50% of what? I go, this is where we got to be the first week of camp. And this is where we're going to be. And this is what the first week of, you know, game week looks going to look like with the game. Right, right, right. So you, you have a, there's a stepwise progression to get there. And I think, you know, um, you know, that's the way, uh, you know, you want to make sure you, you use that in some of your, in, for some of your planning. Gotcha. Now, what do you, what do you think about outside of practices and, and conditioning? What do you think about, you know, using this stuff with speed training and agility training? Do you think it serves purpose or is it just waste of, uh, and not waste of data, but I guess like a waste of, uh, you know, time setting up and, and stuff like that? Well, you know, aside from, you know, you know, charging and putting in, it, it, you can probably quantify a little bit more what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly, I think it's important when, uh, this summer's a little bit of an aberration, but normally you've got your workout template set up for your summer and you've got, you know, your strength training, your speed, agility, conditioning, but then they have, you have player run practices, a seven on seven. For uh-huh. me, you go, well, you know, what did they do? <laughs> That's mm-hmm. where I went guys track when they're okay. out there on their own, because that becomes part of their, you know, their chronic workload. Yeah. So when you're trying to modify chronic and acute workloads, I want to account for what they're doing when they're out there on their own. Hmm. Interesting. You could have a you know a whiteout that goes out there and runs you know forty five hundred extra yards. Yeah, unnoticed, right? Just doing his own thing, running some routes, right? Exactly. So you want you uh, that gives you a means to uh, have accountability for that, and really, it's for the players' health and safety. Hmm. So, Ted, with what you do. Um, being that you consult with all these teams. Um, now, I don't want to know what you specifically, you know, have in these conversations with coaches and, you know, maybe some GMs, but um, say you see something that's, you know, pretty evident to you. Say, hey, this guy, coach, this guy runs a slant route faster on the right side versus the left side. The timing is precise, X, Y, and Z. You get deep into the sports science that way. How do you create that conversation where you, you want the coach to somewhat listen? Because I want to say that um, – not nine out of 10 times, but there's a high percentage of the time where a coach is not going to change his practice, not going to change his packages on plays. Um, how, how do you, what do you think is the safest way to approach a head coach or a coordinator and say, hey, look, this is what we see. This is what we believe or not believe, but this is, this is what we think might work better for your offense or defense. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> or, or, do you, or, do you, or do you just stay away from that? <laughs> hey, just keep that one in the back pocket and say, wow, this is interesting. <laughs> you know what? I, I may mention it to a position coach, but I'm not treading on a head coach or a coordinator. Yeah, because they're, they're not going to change the damn thing they do, right? They've been coaching forever. They've been, they got their style or whatever, you know, whatnot. No, you know, you can look at some trends uh-huh. um, from the data. You could say that, all right, this quarterback is taking, you know, 2.85 seconds to release. All right. And then they're playing a team that gets pressure in 2.51 seconds. Now, not sacks, but pressure. Mm-hmm. You say, well, you know, might want to do something a little different this week. <laughs> You're going to, you know, max protect, might want to do some reverses to keep those DNs honest. Um, 
you know, might want to do maybe shotgun or just some three-step drops, get the ball out quicker. Um, and I saw that on one team like a couple years ago. Uh-huh. And they didn't make any adjustments. Jesus. <laughs> and the quarter, quarterback got sacked like 11 times. Oh, boy. So you're just seeing, you're going, well, wait a minute. You know, you know this is what's coming this week. You've got to make some adjustments. But, but you know what most teams do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can look at, you know, wide receivers, you know, um, the speed on different side of the field, how they run, you know, press coverage, zone coverage. Um, and then where do they have most of their drops? Huh. And there's some research coming out that, you know, uh, you know, how you have, you know, a right left eye dominance that probably plays a role because you can look at some guys and a lot of their drops come from one side of the field. Hmm. And so you go, you know, this guy, uh, you know, so th- th- those are some things I think that for, for, you know, assessments of teams you want to look at, mm-hmm. you know, where, where, where does that quarterback throw, you know, where's he most accurate? Yeah. And, um, you know, you, a lot of this, you look at, you know, heat maps. I mean, one team a couple years ago, they had, they were the best team defending um, 11 personnel, which is the most used format, you know, personnel grouping in the league. Uh So this one team, they had the best defense against 11 personnel. So if you look at, all right, boy, you know, how do we get attacked this team? So if you just look at where, where are most of the pass completions against this team? And if you looked at, well, you attack their linebackers. So, hmm. so, you know, you know, don't beat your head against the door because they had some great lockdown corners. You know, attack their, you know, take what they're going to give you. Yeah, get, find a little weakness somewhere across the middle. If the outside's pretty much locked you up, know, right? You know, don't go into a game and say, well, this is what we do. Well, yeah. Well, you could look at that, that. That's one way to look. The other way to look at it is what are they giving you? Right. And, and you know, that, that, that's kind of what, what I was thinking. It's like, hey, you know, these coaches, are, they're not going to change their game plans. Like, hey, try to stop what we do. But like you said, hey, if they're giving you a little bit of you know, cushion here, why not take it, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's an old saying in the military, if you defend everything, you defend nothing. So uh, that, to me, that applies in the game of football, too. Yeah. Nice, man. Well, Ted, what, let, let's talk a little bit outside of football. If, if you've worked with, you know, a baseball, soccer, or a mm-hmm. basketball program, um, you know, what, what are some best practices for those sports with, you know, their own type of GPS uh, monitoring or, you know, athlete monitoring outside of GPS stuff? Yeah, I think, you know, basketball is, uh, you know, well, the NBA, most of the tracking done in the NBA is done with uh, video uh, systems. They don't actually have a device on the athlete. And so does Major League Baseball. They'll use, you know, the Comcast system. So it's all, it's all optical tracking. Okay. A lot of college basketball will use um, RFID technology or ultra wideband. Yeah, that's that's with, the most common, right? Yeah. So for basketball, that's that's excellent uh, technology for tracking mm-hmm. uh, basketball. And, and and the thing with basketball too is uh, with that type of tracking, you can get a lot of different metrics in terms of how close was the defender uh, to the shooter and what's the shooter's pers- you know field goal percentage based off how close the defender is. Because hmm. you can sit there and look at scouting reports and say, you know, 
if you're within two, if you're at three feet, this kid hits 50%. If you're at two and a half feet from him, he hits 38%. So you got to scoot up a little bit when you're defending this week. Yeah. So, you know, plus it gives you a real good idea in terms you can look at, um, you know, how is your practice matching up with the demands of the game, what you alluded to before. And um, I think that's excellent for bat because you find basketball coaches, they stop and talk too much hmm. during practice. Yeah. So when you compare the demands of the game versus demands of practice, and if I'm looking at tracking data and if I have heart rate being tracked too, I'm not seeing the sustained heart rate elevations in practice that I'm seeing in the game because there's too much stoppage. So okay. the advice to coaches, I go, hey, I understand you got to get teaching and coaching in, but when we're in these two periods, try to use a game day coaching strategy. And that is you got to coach why it's going on. So in these two periods, we get in this period, you can't, don't stop the flow. I, you know, and I never noticed that about basketball. Like I know basketball has those periods where the coach just stops everything, coaches yeah. everyone up in the middle of the room. And I never thought, hey, you know, where's the end game situation? Like you said, the heart rate, it starts to drop after a certain time. You know, it's like, hey, coach, you got to keep it elevated. You know, keep these guys going, keep these guys moving. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think soccer is a great sport to utilize, you know, the, uh, the tracking because uh, uh -huh. it gives you a great idea of, you know, not only for tactical purposes, but for, you know, the physiological differences and positional. And then you can look at trends of um, how did this, you know, what are the movement demands when the game's tied, if you're ahead or you're playing from behind? Because um, mm. once you have, a, there's enough historical data to look at that, and then that gives you a better idea of some of your substitution strategies. Yeah. I think one thing I've read about soccer is the team that runs the fastest towards the end of the game usually becomes uh, usually wins the games. That, that, that's, I, I think that was a research I read a while ago when I was at Fairleigh Dickinson, I believe, because we use polar yeah. with, with them and we, you know, we did everything you're talking about, you know, yeah. that, um, you know, position specific stuff, uh, defenders, uh, midfielders, our wingers were a little bit different or forwards, you know, distance covered heart rate was huge. You know, we knew after conditioning session, who's, who's pretty much in shape to play the game, uh, sports soccer and who's, who's not prepared for, you know, full 90 minutes. So I think, I think that goes deeper than, um, I think it goes deeper with the sport of soccer, with the uh, the tracking, especially when you add the heart rate component to it. Exactly. Yeah, I think you know, anytime you can track, you know, internal load, mm -hmm. you know, via heart rate, that always enhances the interpretation of the data. And and it, if if you're looking at a sport like you know rugby, Australian rules football, and American football, you you look at you know the linemen where they're engaged and they're actually doing really hard isometric work. Sometimes the heart rate gives you a better indication, but really for those athletes, I mean, they're trying to work on some more technology, mm -hmm. you know, to um, look at what's occurring with some of the, you know, gyroscopes and accelerometers and overlaying that with the video uh, to try to come up with some perhaps better metrics for the linemen. But I think their relative perceived exertion for some of those drills for interior linemen and, and, and rugby might be more accurate for those periods. You know, I can add that RPE to those particular sessions. Yeah. Ted, what do you, what do you think, um, like when it comes to doing all this stuff, when, when do you think coaches should draw the line where, all right, now 
you're starting to look at too much data and not doing anything with it. Like if you have a tracking monitor, do you go ahead and, you know, look at a heart rate? If you're looking at heart rate, do you go ahead and look at resting heart rate? Um, if you're doing that, do you go ahead and add another technology component, you know, to kind of tie everything together? Or do you just stick with one thing and try to master it? I would, you know, you start off with the basics and then you could add. Um, I think with, with the inclusion of heart rate, internal load, though, to me, that gives you a better indication, though, of maybe health and safety factors. Because mm-hmm. there are some algorithms you can use with sequential heart rate data to estimate core body temperature. Huh, okay. um, so I can look at that, you know, not only from a performance standpoint, but from a health and safety standpoint as well. Uh, resting heart rate, college students, um, you know, I, I'm not sure when the ideal time is to get that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's because one, their schedule, they arrive to the facility, they have meetings, you're trying to figure out, right, what am I going to get to resting heart rate? Um, right. Conceivably, you could do it during positional meetings. Mm-hmm. They're sitting in a room resting, you know, have them strapped up and then just walk down the hallway and, uh, you know, and let that populate in the software. But a lot of it is you've got a, you've got a lot of administrative constraints. Yeah. Um, the other things that will give you some data points that might be inaccurate would be, you know, kid throws down a Red Bull before getting a, you know, on his way from class to get to the facility. Yeah. And so am, am I looking at a training effect or am I looking at the effect of, you know, caffeine? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of factors, you know, if the kid's dehydrated, you know, so if the kid's dehydrated, you know, if, let's just say he's got a drop in plasma volume, plasma volume drops. That means uh, your stroke volume probably drops. That means your heart rate has to go up to keep your cardiac output the same. Yeah. So am I looking at, oh, he's overtrained or is he just dehydrated? Ah, uh, okay. Okay. And you start to add those little wellness questionnaires. Do you think those always serve a good purpose or no? I think they serve a good purpose, but they, <laughs> if you ask players, what do you hate doing? Oh, I hate filling out these things every yeah. day. <laughs> And so am I getting an answer that they want, they think they want me to have, or am I getting the right answer? Hmm. Because I've seen teams that, you know, on a scale of one to five, five being you feel great, where are you? Kids honestly puts a two. And then the coach goes, why the hell are you a two today? So you think he's going to be honest the next time? Yeah. And next day he'll put an eight next time. we meet you halfway yeah. a little so, bit. <laughs> you, you, if you look at areas that are you going to have high compliance, are you getting – Good information. I mean, I would go 48 hours after a game and 48 hours before a game. Okay. I mean, uh, you might have some sports. If you got a highly compliant athlete that says, I want to do this every day, that's great. But, I, you know, I sort of look at, like, the bell-shaped curve of your team. And, um, you know, you got to do what's, you know, realistic. And, um, and I don't want to turn these – guys into having to do a lot of extra stuff, although I think it could be a value, but I, I just look at, are we getting compliance? Yeah. So what, what trends have you seen over the years, Ted, from like when you first started tracking uh, to, to like this present time today? Uh, I think there's a lot more technology. I think it's the messaging of it. Like you, to your point, are we just collecting data to collect it or, or or, or do we actually have our coaches engaged with the stuff we're gathering? And to me, so much of that is communication. And you know, there's the old 
uh, statement that um, communication is the oxygen of relationships. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've seen people hired that are really bright people, but they may not have the best people skills. Yep. And it's a disaster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so like little things. Any term I use, or if I'm talking with a coach, I try to use terms that they're using with their athletes. So okay. if I got an old school basketball coach, and I'm going to say, hey, we're looking at your excels and decels, he goes, what the hell's that? Yeah. I'll just say, we're going to, I'll label them stop and goes. Gotcha. Okay. Talk their language so, a little bit. Talk their language. Yeah. So I want them to feel comfortable. Uh, because the one thing is if somebody's really a brilliant coach, older, successful, try to take your, you know, their terminology and apply it to what you're doing. Yeah. I don't want to have to, you know, I don't want to have a, a glossary of terms. I have to hand them when I'm talking about what the data we collect. Yeah. You may make the transition a little bit easier. So you don't have to explain, right? Just get, get, right. Right, get right to the point of whatnot. It's pretty yeah. good, man. Because it was Albert Einstein that said, uh, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. Now, you know what? I, I, I can't explain anything simply, but <laughs> I guess I don't understand much myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but hey, Ted, man, this has been great, man. Very great in-depth detail. Um, and I, I loved it. Every point you touched on, man, from going back to, you know, when you first started coaching and how you guys did it then to, you know, what are you guys looking at now? And I know, I know there's no one, you know, key number outside of, you know, player load that everyone should focus on. Cause everyone's got their own, I guess, um, mindset on, you know, what, what KPI or, you know, IMA that they're looking for that they, they value as much. I, I would say my last question to you is, you know, what data points do you value the most when looking at this stuff? You know, I, I think the one area that people don't take into account as much, I, I'm big on what was the duration of the practice. Um, okay. And then, you know, you, you look at, distance distance per minute and then i look at you know the different speed zones mm-hmm. and then i look at total excels and decels you know because some of them sometimes when they look too deep into you know the accelerations well that was a high-end acceleration you know i just look at it from some position group but let's just say you're a linebacker you step up you step back you step up you know i don't know how much yet really you know accelerated decelerate i know that's very fatiguing though so I just look at, you know, a lot of those excels, decels, or some people might say there's, you know, IMAs, because um, I think those cumulatively have an effect. I guess you could start individualizing uh, your, I guess, training when you're, when you're running guys. Like, hey, our defensive guys are going to do something a little bit different than our offensive guys. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, because these guys play backwards, you know, half the time, you know, <laughs> looking at the offense, offense is playing forward 99% of the time besides the O-line, you know, but um, it gets interesting. And I could talk about this stuff for, for, shoot, maybe for a long time. I don't know. There's just so much, to, so much to dig into. I'm sure you found some stuff over the years that, you know, you were like, oh, this is brand new. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at wide receivers, I think the guys that are great decelerators are really good receivers. Good route runners, right? Yes. Get in and out of those breaks. You yeah, got to get in and time. out. So when they go, well, how fast is he? You go, well, he's a great route runner. So uh, I think, you know, you'll be able to, uh, as more data becomes available, you can start looking at acceler- deceleration profiles of different routes. And mm. um, so, uh, yeah, I think that stuff, you know, that stuff's interesting. But you always, you got to communicate with the 
position coach to say, hey, what does so-and-so do well and what do they need to improve upon? Yeah. Awesome, man. That's good stuff, Ted. Appreciate everything, all the knowledge you brought forth today, man. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to uh, get in contact with you? My uh, email is, uh, it's T underscore, and then Lambertitas, which is L-A-M-B-R-I-N-I-D-E-S at yahoo.com. Perfect, Ted. Appreciate it, man. And one last wild card question I got to ask you, Ted. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, uh, or if you haven't done any of this, you know, throughout your career, what other career would you envision yourself doing? I would, I you know, I guess you're all, you know, I guess you could look at any type of challenge, whether it be a business challenge. Uh, but, you know, I get great. I, I could just see, you know, coaching high school. Yeah. Sports. <laughs> so Any type of sport. You know, yeah. Hmm. And I think uh, I find great enjoyment with, you know, watching people, uh, you know, improve as a person as well as athletically. Yeah, that's cool. You, you struck me as like a forensic science type of guy for some reason. I don't know why. I thought, I thought you'd be out there solving murder cases. <laughs> like, man, no. Ted, Ted's got a 100%, uh, you know, conversion rate, you know, on, you know, fingerprint testing yeah. and finding the, 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 the right suspects, man. But <laughs> That's right. That'd be great. Yeah. Hey, uh, Ted, any last words for our listeners? You know, I think the, the big thing is, is to try to talk to people that have been doing it for a number of years and finding out where they've made mistakes. Ask questions. Everybody makes mistakes. Just try to find out the different mistakes that have been made so you don't repeat those and waste time. <laughs>